I literally am the substitute. Marlon was supposed to be speaking this morning, and, you know, he went to Kenya uh, because his grandma died. And, of course, his grandma was like another mom to him because he lived with her for several years while his mom was over here trying to establish a home here. And uh, he said before he left, I said, you still want to preach this Sunday? He, he said, yes. I thought, oh, you know you won't. But, you know, he said, I've preached with jet lag before, you know, like when you go to India or somewhere. So I have too, but I don't know what I said. <laughs> so it probably wasn't good. But So I said, okay, you know, we're going to be looking forward to hearing you. But then I got a text from him Thursday and said, um, I don't think I'm going to do that. <laughs> He's had a kind of an emotional week. And then last night he got home and, he sent me a text and said he'd made it home, but he'd been sitting in the airport for two hours waiting on his luggage to show up. So, Lord bless Marlon. And morning, and I said, well, stay at home today and rest and so you can do the other part of your life. So, we'll be hearing from him again soon. Amen? And... Well, you know, Franco, they're back with the Hispanic ministry, back there in the saloon. That's what Louise said, something about a saloon, right? I know it's a salon, but I think that's a saloon. They're going back there and drinking Holy Ghost wine, right? But, uh, you know, Franco, you know, with, you know, of course, y'all know he lost his daughter. And uh, so we were really concerned about him, but, you know, he was releasing so much love and joy on us this morning uh, it was amazing that God had given them such a grace, you know, in such a painful time. Isn't that the Lord good? Because we were like, oh, you know, we've got to help them. And, you know, the Lord is the only one that can help somebody in those times. And, you know, Mr. Rummage, who may be now called Mr. Lazarus, has made it back <laughs> from, from all he's been through and lost a couple pounds. But his wife told me he needed to, so <laughs> I'm saying, Jay. <laughs> and Margaret, we were blessed to get to pray for those grand, great-granddaughters of yours who lost their mother a few weeks ago. And I know you're trying to take care of them, and they, they're under the best of care between you and the Holy Spirit. So thank you for doing that, and the Lord's going to do something in their life. And Amen. So I just want to declare the goodness of the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, I wanted to give you this message this morning that I had planned on giving anyway, but I was sort of bummed that Marlon couldn't speak because I've been delaying, trying to delay do this, doing this message because I really have had a really struggle with it, but um, I'm going to do the best I can with this. Um, but first of all, let me tell you, I read this article about preaching this week, and they were telling you all the things that you shouldn't do preaching. And I thought, oh, Lord, I am doing everything they said not to do. Everything. I think everything in the, in the article I did wrong. Yeah, I thought, I've got to do something different here. Uh, so I'm gonna, Well, one of the things they said is don't be rubbing your body because some people rub their body. Well, this is the truth. I do have this thing that happens to me when I get in the presence of the Lord, and it's this incessible thing on my thigh. I don't know what it is, but I feel God on my thigh. And over the years, I've had to modify where I actually put my hand. So I've kind of figured it out because somebody informed me, that don't look good. 
that does not look right what you're doing. So I move my hand, and it works right here. I'll do this, and all through worship, I'll feel this. I'll pound on it. It's just the weirdest feeling. I'm just telling you, God can do some weird things, right? Huh? With weird people. Yeah. So, yeah, it did. Yeah, but you know, one of the things they were saying about, one thing I didn't do is they said, don't take your glasses on and off, okay? Because you see a lot. I remember one time Larry Randolph was preaching here, and he had two pair of glasses. He would have one to read in and one to wear, and he was just constantly doing this. And sometimes he would get mixed up with them, put the wrong glasses on at the wrong time. It was driving me nuts. Like, can't you afford glasses that, you know, drive bifocal glasses? We'll buy them for you just so we won't be so distracted by what you're doing. Okay, now that I got you loosened up and me a little bit so I can do this, I wanted to read 1 Corinthians 4.15, and it says... This is a famous verse. For though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Well, this is what the Lord spoke to me uh, uh, last, at the end of last year. He, this is what he said to me. He, want, he said, I want you to go deeper in your relationship with the Father. That's what he said. I want you to go deeper in your relationship with the Father because the world needs fathers and mothers. The world needs spiritual fathers and mothers. And the way we become that is that we go deeper with Him. Okay? And so what I want to try to do best I can is to encourage you this morning about your relationship with the Lord. Now, this is, a, this is simple. This is about as simple as it gets. But this is everything. You know, in some churches, you know, they have a coordination. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing. This is a great thing to do if this is what God's called you. You know, they, they, the worship team gets together with the preacher and everybody kind of coordinates so there'll be a theme. You know, well, I personally have chosen not to do that in my life because I don't trust myself that much to be able to stay consistent with what I'm thinking what I'm thinking on Thursday may not be what I'm thinking on Sunday, right? So I kind of, you know, but some, I'm amazed, like, this morning, the worship, all, it was like, it was like we coordinated this. This is, this was what, you know, God is saying. It was like I had this conversation with Jacob, but I promise you, I did not. I really don't mess with them about the songs. I seldom, uh, oh, let me just tell you this one thing. One more loosen you up thing, okay? This is Jacob Early. There was this song that he used to do, okay? And Becky says, this is a great song, Byron. And I said, no, that song sounds like what 12-year-old girls do at a pajama party. <laughs> I didn't like that song, okay? And so I said, Jacob, I don't want to do that song no more. I don't like that song. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you might think bad of me. But it, that's what it felt to me. Like, this is a great song for 12-year-old girls at a pajama party, but not for... Not for a bunch of guys or even grown-ups. I don't want... I, it just rubbed me wrong. Well, he... Somehow or another, Andy Squires found out about it. <laughs> and said, Jacob Byron has never told me not to do a song. <laughs> right? <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> you know, that, if you don't know Andy, you and... this sort of an inside joke. You and know <laughs> what that means. You know. 
<laughs> Anyways, Becky was saying, we need to do that song again. I thought, mm, please don't, let's don't do that song. Okay, well, let me just tell you the reason this thing is, is God is relational, okay? I won't, he's a, to be a father, for us to be fathers and mothers, it's a relational call, okay? You can't, that's, that's the nature, that's the essence of God, that's the essence of Christianity, that it's relational, it's, it's a relationship, it's, it's not everything else. Everything else follows that. Back in the 80s, um, there were these books that came out. Uh, this guy named John Nesbitt. Do y'all remember John Nesbitt? He was a trend. These are trend experts. I bet you if you went back and read that book, a lot of what he said, you would realize this guy had some insight. And, but one of the things he talked about, he says, as the society becomes more high-tech, there's going to be a greater need for high touch. Okay? And, another, and, and some of the examples he used in the book was one that we've all experienced. You have an issue with a bill or something, and you call the, call the electric company, and you get a machine, and you go through all this machine stuff, and nothing's helping. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you just get so frustrated. I need to talk to a human being. I need somebody. I don't need to deal with a machine, right? Well, that was sort of, but things have ballooned since the 80s. And there's this phenomenon that has happened called social media, you know, Facebook and Twitter and it, texting and emails. All that stuff has exploded on the scene. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing on, on any day of the week. This is not against, this is a for, okay? But what they have discovered, they're studying this. You know, sociologists are studying what is, what is the effect of social media. Now, for my generation, okay, and the generations above me, there's a less of effect of this. But as you go down in the generations, this effect is, is compounded, really. One of the things that they're noticing is this. The, up in, the generations are becoming less and less empathetic. You know what empathetic means? It means having an understanding and care about other people's feelings. In fact, they're saying that people are 40%, I don't know how they figured this up, 40% less empathetic today than they were 20 years ago. Because social media tends to isolate people from human contact. Okay? In other words, you can sit in your house and have a relationship over, over, inter, over the Internet with many people. You can communicate to them. You know, here's what I found. I have a relationship with a lot of people that I'm not around all the time. A lot of it's through emails and texts and stuff. But some of them that I have a, more of a closer relationship with, this is what always happens. When they come to a real need in their life... This is what they want to do. I need to come see you. I need to be able to see you face to face because I've got something that really matters in my life. And I need somebody that I can really talk to. And I don't need to do it over email. I don't need to do it over text. I don't need to do it over Facebook. I need a human being that I can get a hold of. You see what I'm saying? And I think it's important for us to realize in the society we live in that God has created us 
for, with a built-in need for other people. I have a couple of friends who are single. They've been single forever. And my, my concerns about them are this. Is, is, is they're self-focused because they don't live with other people day in and day out. They become self-focused, self-centered, do what I want to do when I want to do it. You know what I'm saying? Because they don't have that daily interaction. In other words, you could hole up in your house and never interact with other people. And some, of, and some of them actually become happy that way. They become content in their hearts that way. You see what I'm saying? Do you? And it's not healthy. It's an unhealthiness that gets on people. Even introverts like myself, I'm happy to, with me. I'm, I, like I've told people, I'm happy hanging out with me. But the truth is, if I do that too much, there becomes an unhealthiness that gets into my life. I need other people. This is something I l- learned interesting about premature babies since my daughter had a, a, a child that was born. His due date, he was born on November the 8th, and he's still not even due to be here. Okay? But one of the things that they've learned, the doctors have learned about how the health of the premature baby is this thing they call kangarooing, is they take the child... And put the child on the mom's chest, skin to skin, skin to skin. And somehow or another, that causes the child's blood pressure, heartbeat, everything to stabilize. Because there's a contact, there's a human contact. It causes their brains to develop. It just does all these amazing things that the child can't get just left sitting in a crib. And people coming every once in a while and, you know, changing their diaper and dallying with them. Are y'all following this? And so God's created us like that. God has created us to need touch from other people. He really has. And when you look at the Lord himself, Jesus, when he was on the earth, Jesus embraced people. He looked people in the eyes. He touched the worst of people. He touched lepers who at that time no one could touch. They were the unclean people. No one, you weren't even allowed to touch them. Yet he would touch them. He would put their hands on them. There's been studies about children raised in orphanages and stuff that have never been loved or touched. Nobody ever picked them up. Nobody ever spoke to them. And they grow up with all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of messed up thinking. And they never, it's hard for them to be, to be a normal person and function normal in society because they've never had that touch. They've never had people to love them. They've never had people to hold them. And speak to them. And everybody comes to places in their lives when they need somebody to put a hand on. They need somebody to, to touch them. Touch them. And, you know, I have loved, you know, the, the, the perspective of a pastor touching people. Not that a pastor is special, but there's something about a shepherd. Becky brought this out to me because I've been one of the worst at that. Is when her mom was dying, her pastor stopped by hospice. And Becky said that meant everything. That meant everything for him. Just him being there brought such comfort. Even though he couldn't, he wasn't, he couldn't heal her, he couldn't bring her back. See, that was my problem. I can't help them. It's too late. They're dead. They're gone. They're, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I know to say. It would cause me to pull back. But when she said that, I realized sometimes just a friend showing up at the right time just, and just being there. You know, or just a, even a phone call sometimes, but sometimes, it's, sometimes we need something beyond that. We just, just a little bit. It's, it, maybe you can't do the miracle for them, right? Maybe you can't change their life, but you can be there and touch them the way they need to be touched. Well, I've said all that because I think that's how God created us. 
And when we, when we withdraw ourselves from that, it begins to hurt us. So I wanted to read John um, 14, 7 through 9. So I guess what I, you know, one of the things that has always spoken to me in the Bible was when Jesus called his disciples in Mark 3. This is what it says he called, he, it says he went up on a mountain. Okay, that's what it says. He went up on a mountain. And anytime Jesus is on a mountain in the New Testament, go read it. Every time he shows up on a mountain, something great happens. A teaching, a revelation, a miracle, a healing, something happens. This day he went on this mountain and it says he called, he called them, those who he wanted. He called them. And it, then it says, and they came to him, they responded to him. They responded to him. They came to the place where he was at. And if you study the life of Jesus many times, like when this was one of the things that really boggled my mind about Jesus was after he was resurrected from the dead, he said, hey, tell the disciples to go to Galilee and I'll meet them there. I'm thinking, why didn't you just go to where they are? Because you could go anywhere instantly now that you've been raised from the dead, but they got to walk to Galilee. It's an inconvenience for them to have to go there. Yet he said, I'll be there, come there. And so many times the the Lord calls us to a place. Like, this is where I am. Come to me here. Meet me on my ground here. Now, I believe this about the Lord. I believe he meets everybody where they're at at some point. In other words, God's not going to say, come to where I'm at and you can't even walk. He'll be there where you're at. He will go to the hospital room. He'll go to the the funeral. He'll go to 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 the morgue. He will be there. Okay? But I am saying there is a point... When God's calling people, where he says, come up here where I am. And then it says, he appointed them. This is the 12 apostles. He appointed them to be with him. To be with him. In other words, the first thing he did was, I'm not going to appoint you to be apostles and do miracles. I want somebody to be with me. I want people who are going to have a relationship with me. And who are going to hang out with me and be close to me. That, that's what it, the first thing he said he did. Then it says, and he sent them out to preach with power and authority. It's really important. Now I'm going to tell you something. That's a key to your life. That's a key to everybody in this room that would like to have some power and authority in their life. And if you're not a Christian who wants some power and authority, you need to change the way you're thinking. You get that? You should be wanting power and authority. Because the world needs power and authority. The world's not going to change with us being good people. The character is awesome and important to the Lord. But power and authority is also awesome and important to the Lord. Because the world's not going to change just because we're good guys. They, they, They would just cut your head off like everybody else. Good guy, bad guy, you're gone. But with power and authority, that's when you can begin to change people where they don't want to cut people's heads off. And that's the goal, right? <laughs> yes, amen. All right, listen to this. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. That's what Jesus said. If you had known me, you would know my Father also. Now listen, this is 24 hours before Jesus is going to be crucified. This is after he had spent three years hanging out with these guys. Okay? Philip said to him, and then he says, and from now on, you know him and have seen him. 
So they're sitting there like, no, no, that ain't, that ain't right. Something ain't right with this conversation, Lord. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. I don't really want to get into a lot on that one statement, but that was one of the most profound statements in the Bible, I believe. Because I believe every human being, whether they are aware of it or not, are saying that to Jesus. Or saying it to somebody. If, if I could see the Father, that would change things in my life because that's how God created us. He created us with this divine vacuum to know Him, to have a relationship with a Father. Okay? It's a powerful statement. It's a life-changing statement. That, one, that, that statement radicalized my thinking years ago, and it still is, because I realized all my life I had lived as an orphan. Even as a Christian, even as a pastor, I had lived as an orphan in my heart. And there was a craving in me that I didn't really know what it was, but it was a craving for a father, for a heavenly father. I had a good father on earth. He was a good daddy. But there was something else that was missing in my life, but I didn't know what it was until he began to reveal it to me. And when he began to reveal it to me, I realized that's the thing I've been looking for my entire life. It was by revelation. And I pray that you would get that. I pray everybody in this room would get that. They would realize that's the thing I've been looking for my entire life because at that moment, things will begin to shift in your life. Are y'all good? I got to get, get going here. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? Have I been here so long? I've been here for three years with you and you've not seen this. You've not seen this. You've not seen this. Some Christians go their entire life and not see it. This is a man who heard the wonderful words come out of Jesus' mouth. He was there and helped feed the 5,000. He was sent out. He was sent out and he preached the gospel to people and healed people and delivered people from the devils, it says in Luke 10 and 11. He was one of those. And Jesus was saying, Philip, you've, you've just got everything wrong. You've got, you've got life backwards because there's something you're missing in your life. There's something you're missing. And that's what God has said to me at different points in my life. You've got it wrong, Byron. You're missing something. You're missing what really matters. You've gotten away from the essence of what this life is all about. And that's what he was saying. A lot of people say, well, if you read commentaries, that was a rebuke to Philip. No, it was not a rebuke. It was one of the most loving invitations ever. People, let me say this, people misrepresent God. They say this is a bad thing. He was admonishing this man. That was not an admonishment. If it was an admonishment, Lord, admonish me all day. Admonish me into the ground because that's what I need. I need words that's spoken to me from heaven that will awaken something in me, that will awaken something and cause something to happen inside of me. And then he said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How can, how can you say that? Jesus wasn't bewildered 
that these men had walked with him for three years, heard his great revelations, and to them it was just words. To them, oh man, you know, when you get revelation from the Lord and you share with other people and they don't get it, you, you know, this is hard. It, you can get mad at people about it. That's why, this is why one of the problems with, with angry preachers is because they really do, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are really carrying something real. And they're letting it out, and people are not getting it. So what do they do? They, they, they do all these things to, to try to help people get it. And one of the things they do is they, they get angry. They, they start going after people and, and condemning the people of God. You know? You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's like condemning a lost person for doing bad things. Like, duh, they do that. You don't have to condemn them. That's what they do. They don't know any better because they have a fallen nature still. They're not living out of life. And so I'm just telling this because I know all this. I know, you know, the tricks that people do. I don't try to do them no more. Well, if I do, I'm in trouble. But I am saying this. I've struggled in my life a bunch with revelation and trying to give revelation to people. And then I look at Jesus himself Three years, eating, sleeping, drinking Jesus. And they still didn't get it. Like, well, okay. That's the human nature. That's, the, that's, the, that's what happens to us. How could, how, could we, how could we expect anything? How could we treat people wrongly just because they don't get it? John the Baptist said this. He, this is what he said. He, he, a man can receive nothing unless it's given to him from heaven. You cannot hold people accountable for things that God hasn't revealed to them. You cannot. You can share your heart, your most precious things you have, and they don't get them. You can't hold their feet to the fire over it. Why? Because it hasn't been revealed to them from heaven. And our tendency is, is to hold their feet to the fire. And so when, don't take it personal. That's the bottom line. You just don't take it personal. You know, and there's a thing in the Bible where it says don't throw your pearl before swine. But you're not swine. And I don't think most people are swine. I'm talking about unsaved people. I don't see them that way. I don't, you know, I don't think that. But God could say that would be swine to you, so don't do that. But I don't think giving people your revelations that are precious to you, and then when they don't receive them or even reject them or brush them off, you should take it personal. You should say in your heart, they haven't got it from heaven. It's not their moment. God, let them have it. Anyways, I wanted to say something about our prayers um, and comparing our prayers to the prayers in the Bible. Okay? is many of the prayer, the New Testament prayers especially, like for instance, the Lord's Prayer, begins our Father before it addresses the needs, before it addresses the devil. It's, the first thing is about the Father. It's about the relationship. Paul's prayer in Ephesians, both of his prayers in Ephesians actually, Ephesians 1, when he says the spirit of revela- wisdom and revelation to know Jesus Christ. That's the literally, that's the first thing. A lot of people say that prayer is for three things. No, it's for four things. 
they've missed the first thing. We've put so much focus on the hope of our calling, our, the glorious inheritance that we are in Christ, which is your identity, your power, you know, the resurrection. But the first thing was knowing Jesus Christ. There's knowing Jesus Christ. That's the, real, that's the primary goal. Because all that other stuff won't do you any good without that. Okay, and so then there's the other prayer in Ephesians 3 where he talks about knowing the love of God. That is the way into fullness in your life, is knowing the love of God, and you will be filled with the fullness of God. That's God's fullness, is God's love. But I've d- discovered that we, we, and I'm saying we, I'm putting myself in the we, I'm not saying you, I'm saying we in general are obsessed with our problems. We are obsessed with our questions that we have for God. We are obsessed with things that are going on in our life. We are obsessed with our health, our prosperity, and all the things, all the needs. And so we pray those things a lot, don't you? (laughs) Right? Maybe I'm the only one that's been obsessed with that stuff. Why isn't God doing this? Why, why, Why did that happen? Why did the roof break? Why did that person die when we prayed and, and fasted? And, why, why? Or, you know what I'm saying? Does anybody else pray like that? I mean, good Lord. I'm not saying those prayers are wrong. I'm saying we obsess over things. And the Bible says that God obsesses over us. He's obsessed with us. Okay? He's not obsessed with all these, these other things. He's obsessed with you and I. That's what he obsesses over. And we obsess over our needs. I'm not saying it's wrong to bring your needs to God because I think that's right. But I am saying God thinks different than we think when it comes to stuff. But here's what the problem is. Here's what the problem is with that. Because we're so obsessed with one thing and he's so obsessed with something else, they they can be a disconnect in your life with God. In other words, there can be a breakdown and because you're obsessed with God answering your prayers about situations in your life. Lord, why haven't you given me a spouse? Or Lord, why didn't I get that raise? Or Lord, why didn't you sell my house? Lord, why didn't I get to go? They got to go. Why didn't I get to go? Why did I lose my job, God? Those are all legitimate things. But when we obsess them, God's obsessing over something else towards us, towards us, about us. And about this relationship that God desires to have. Hey, you know, speaking of obsession, this is why, why I use that word. I read this article about Amazon, okay, and what made Amazon so successful. They had a list of things. The very first one was this. Amazon is obsessed with their customers. They are obsessed with making their the customer's experience easy as pie, like one-click ordering. Y'all know what one-click ordering is? You just go in there and hit one button. You don't have to do nothing else. Or Amazon Prime. You can buy stuff. Listen, you can buy shoes and wear them for two weeks and, and decide that nah, they ain't working, and they'll take them back. And they will refund you. Listen, they will refund you for those shoes before they ever even get them back. Believe me, I know. I've tried it. And I felt embarrassed about it. I felt stupid about it. like God, I'm seeing the, I've been wearing these shoes for, actually I wore them for a month and Becky finally said those are not working send them back I said I can't send nobody in the world goes to the shoe store and buys shoes and walks out the door once you walk out that door they're yours right not with Amazon 
Because Amazon's obsessed with their customers and making their customer experience happy and making it easy for them. And so people flock to Amazon. I'm one of them. I don't want to go to Target. I'm going to go to Amazon. I can just click it. I'm just breaking off my relationship with Target and Walmart and actually not. But I do go in those stores. Don't talk about it. If you're on a mission field, man, go to Walmart about 9.30 on Friday night. The whole world, I mean, talking about the nations are in there. You can walk down the aisle and hear people talking in languages you never like, where are you from? Oh, Yugoslavia. Really? You know, I mean, they're from all over the world in there. All right, so, anyways. Yeah. There's Walmarts all over the world. There's one in China. We went to it. I didn't. They did. I wasn't going. I'm not going to China to go to Walmart. But they brought back weird stuff, I'll be honest with you. I mean, really, like, they don't sell that at home. Let me read Psalm 37, verse 4. And I have this in two translations. It says, Delight, this is a famous scripture. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, delight has to do with a relationship. Here's where the, past, the passion translation which I highly recommend, I highly love it. Make God the utmost delight and pleasure of your life. And He will provide for you what you desire. I didn't write it all down, did I? What you desire most. Now, I'm going to tell you this, okay? I have a lot of experience in this area. I have a lot of experience in having desires for things, okay? Not bad things, good things, awesome things. And having those desires and having issues. And I found in my life what happens to me is there's, it's like a bottleneck gets created in my life. Y'all know what a bottleneck is? Everything gets narrow. And it doesn't seem like things are working really good. You have this bottleneck in your life. A lot of Christians have bottlenecks. They're frustrated with God. They're frustrated with their Christian life. They ask you, you tell them stuff, and it doesn't work in their life. You know what I'm talking about? I've told people stuff that works great in my life, and I tell them, this will work if you'll do this. And they try, and it doesn't work. Okay? And it used to bother me, like, what in the heck is wrong with them? Everybody knows this is work. This is right from the Bible. <laughs> this is the way things work. If you'll just do these things, your life will work. Well, I found out it doesn't, and it doesn't work in my life that way, okay? And this is why it doesn't, because there's a bigger issue. It's this obsession of God with you. God will allow all of us to come to a place in our life where your Christian life simply does not work, okay? And He will allow that, and you can do all the right things. You can pray all the right prayers. You can do all the right things, and nothing will work. God will not. It's like God is unmovable. Does anybody, has anybody ever else been there? That's what the Lord was saying to Philip. Philip, you've heard me. You've done it yourself, but you're missing it. You're missing, the, you're missing the essence of what I'm trying to get. You've missed the whole thing. For three years, you've missed it. You've missed it. And the best day of your life can come when you hear God say that to you in the midst of your struggles, in the midst of God not doing what you think He should do. When he says, you have missed the whole point, that's why your life is not working. That's why grace doesn't work in your life. Because you've missed it. And boy, it's a rough day when the grace of God doesn't seem to be working. Well, it really is working. Let me read this Matthew 16. Are y'all okay? 
All righty. It says this. this. We've read this many times. This is one of my favorite scriptures. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's crazy. He told them who they were. This is who I am. I'm the Son of Man. Okay, but who does, who does people say? Who does men say? Okay, and then they begin to, to answer the question. You know, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, blah, blah. You know, these are great people. I mean, I've heard teaches where people broke down all that. It was awesome. Here's what the problem is. It wasn't doing them no good. And it doesn't do you any good. And it doesn't do me any good to know what everybody else says about Jesus Christ or about God the Father. There's two kinds of knowing that I've discovered. That there that Jesus was asking them is what I call second-hand knowing. It's what everybody else knows. It's what your favorite preacher knows or your favorite Christian book knows. It's what John the Apostle knew even. It's second-hand, first-hand. This is what he said. This is really important. I I want y'all to get this. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Now, here's what I think, and I can't prove this 100%, but I can prove it in my life, and I can obviously prove it right there. I just read it to you with the disciples. I believe there's going to come times in everybody's life that God's going to ask, ask you those questions. You're going to have to face... That's a... That's a good day when he asks you. Now, I, I believe when he asks you that, it can be the turning point in your life. I believe your life can shift at that moment when you begin, even when you can't answer the questions, okay? Even though when you can't answer, give him a good answer for either one of them, I believe that's the day when things change, okay, for you. So... Um, I was thinking about this week, this scripture a lot, and I was thinking about the first time in my life when I faced this, okay? I was just this like a 26-year-old, 27-year-old guy, okay? And I'd been a Christian a few years, sort of like Philip, you know? I'd been around God moving. I really had been around. We were in a church where God moved, and God did awesome things. I'd been around that. And I was married to Becky, who was really kind of like a 22-year-old girl with a baby, a little boy. Okay? I mean, you know, she, we got things going early here with her. Okay? Had a baby, a toddler. We also had a little baby infant girl. We also had a little dead baby. Okay? And I was in a fix in my life. Here's what my fix was. I could not... I was using a credit card to feed my family. I was using a credit card to feed my family. I could not find a job. Okay? My house, I couldn't keep it warm. I, was, I owed the electric company a lot of money. Big bucks. Because the heat system was so bad in it. It was so bad that the condensation would freeze on the inside of the windows. Okay? I was using food stamps. And I'm not, that's not a shame. 
was having to use food stamps. As long as they'd give them to me, I was taking them, okay? And I was getting food from, from the church to live. And I was upset with God really bad, okay? I was real upset with God. And here's the reason I was upset with God. Because I believed that God, I had, what I, I put myself in that situation. I had a really great job. I quit my job believing that God wanted me to do something. Now, and the thing we were doing was an awesome thing. We were going to start this church. Okay, so it's crazy how we are when we do things. And then we get upset with God when it doesn't work. When he might say, well, I never told you to quit the job. I may have told you to go start the church. But I had no, I never told you nothing about quitting that job. You, you, could, have, you could have commuted a couple hours a day or, you know, you could, have moved, you could have lived halfway. You could have done something. But that wasn't my only problem, you know. That, that, I mean, that was a big problem, obviously. Um, but the, the bigger problem was is God was not doing what I was taught that he would do. Okay, I was taught that God would act a certain way and respond a certain way. And I believed it. I believed what I was taught. I believed what the Bible reflects on God. And I found myself in a situation where God was not cooperating. In fact, he was not even talking to me. It was like God had abandoned me. That's the way I felt. Gosh, you've abandoned me. You know, I wrecked Donna Color's car because I didn't have a car. My car was broken. I didn't have the money to fix the stupid car. I borrowed her car to go on the one job interview that I got. And going down the road, I hit a patch of ice. And the next thing I know, I hit a mailbox. And then I plow into this vegetable stand. I see stuff flying everywhere. I could have died. You know, and fortunately I didn't. I just tore her car all to pieces. Fortunately, the people knew my brother. Okay, when I, and they were like, you know, you got to replace all this. We're, we're glad you're okay. Can you get somebody to come get you? Yeah. I said, hey, you know my brother lives right down the road. Here. Oh, yeah, you're his brother. Well, yeah, just, just replace the mailbox. Uh, just forget that. Do you need a ride home? Yeah, because of my brother. That was merciful, but I tore Donna Culler's car up. I mean, it wasn't even drivable. And then I called the place I was supposed to go to interview on. You know what they said to me? Like, well... Tell you the truth, we probably don't want to hire you anyway, so just forget it. Because I was trying to reschedule it. It's just not going to work out. I'm thinking, God, where are you? Where in the heck are you, Lord? And why, why are you doing this to me? Don't you like me or something? And Lord, this is what our leaders told me about you. This is what they said you would do, and these are the testimonies. Why aren't you doing that for me? I was so angry of God, so I decided one night, I think I've shared some of this before, but this really is important. We're going to have a meeting, me and God. It's just going to be me and God. So I drive out into the country, deep into the country, on, on dirt roads that have never been behaved, where nobody drives except they have a reason to be there. I stop in the middle of the road, this was in the truck that somebody mercifully gave me, a wore-out work truck with their decal still on it. But at least it was something. And there I sat out there, and I was wanting to find out some stuff from God. 
And this is what I said to him. You have not done what they said you would do. You've not done it. And I can't feed my family. My baby's dead. And you didn't keep her alive. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this to me, God? I was so frustrated with him. I didn't know what to do. I was really frustrated with him. I wasn't wanting to backslide. I just needed God to answer me. I needed him to talk to me, to give me some insight on my life and what was going on. I desperately needed a perspective from God because I had given myself to God. You know, we sing this morning that we love God. I had done that. I had given myself totally to God. I had given up my job easily to do what I believe God called me to do because I loved Him and I wanted to serve Him. I wanted to be with Him. That was my life. And then He, it was like He rejected me, like a scorned lover. You know, you know what I'm talking about. If you're a guy and a girl never liked you when you liked her, right? Yeah, it's not a fun feeling, right? Believe me, I had a couple of that happen. They were wrong. And I saw class reunion pictures, and I thought, thank God they didn't like me. They didn't like me. Thank God. I would have been bad. I got Becky. You know, she was better all the way around. And looks better now than them girls look now. They look rough. They had a rough life. Anyways, I'm just telling you how, what I thought recently. Anyways... So God, you know, I'm standing out in the middle of nowhere on a beautiful starry night, kind of chilly. And God, God spoke to me. It was not like God of audible voice, but it might as well be because he spoke and it resonated in my heart so much. And it's, that's what he said. It's, it's, it's what they said. But, but what do you say? That's what he's, it's what they said. It's what they said. What do you say? You know what I told the Lord? This, this is what I'm telling you. I said, Lord, I don't know you. I don't know you. I, I can't even answer that. You know who you are to me now, God? You're the God that I don't know. You're the God that I don't know. And this is what he said. He said, this, this is what's going to happen in your life. He said, you are going to spend the rest of your life getting to know me. He said, you're going to find out that my face is like a diamond. That there's many parts to me. That's why I've always loved that story in Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. Where it said, that, word, that one phrase captures my heart. It says he appeared to them in another form. And I realize in life that God appears to us in different ways in different times in our lives. And, all, and it's an invitation. It's an invitation. And so many times we miss that invitation when he doesn't show up. Brian captured something beautiful this morning. He was talking about last week, or was it Jennifer? One of y'all captured it. That God, it was so rowdy how God was moving last week. And this week, it was a different movement. It was different faces of God. And I don't know why that helped me. Because I didn't come away with any answers for feeding my family, getting a job, 
I came away with no answers for that, but I did come away with this. I'm going to spend the rest of my life getting to know God. That's my primary purpose on earth is to have a relationship with God and know God. And that's what I'm going to do. And so I was still a self-centered, immature, 26, 27-year-old guy when I got home that night. I was still that same immature, self-focused, wants-everything person. But something changed in me as far as my relationship with God. Something happened to me. And a few weeks later, I was sitting in my living room in my house. This is no lie. God walked into that living room. God himself did and stood beside me. I felt God walk in and stand there. He didn't say a word, but it was like this column that's the best way I can describe it. A column comes into my, into my living room. I was sitting in the chair. wasn't watching TV because we didn't have one. We didn't even believe in TVs back then. I wish I still didn't sometimes. <laughs> Anyways, TVs are fine for what they are, but this column stood beside me. I felt this person's presence right standing right beside me. And I just sat there. And I just, just sat there for a little bit and I felt at that moment in my life that everything that I have been created for is coming to my house my whole being was alive was something I had never felt at the deepest level of me it's unexplainable all I knew at that moment is this is what I want for my life I want this this is what I want. I will do anything for this. I was like a drug addict at that moment that would kill, that would steal from their mama to get a fix. That's the way I felt. I will do anything for this. And then the presence left. It just, as soon as the way it came in, it just sort of walked away. And, and I knew, I knew at that moment, I knew right then, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm going to be a pastor. I knew that. That was the stupidest thought I could ever have. <laughs> it really was. I was, I didn't know nothing. I didn't, I was just a hungry guy. I was a guy trying to follow the Lord before that, but my dream for my life was not to be a pastor. My, here's what my dream for my life was. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to school. I'm going to become an engineer. I'm going to be really successful as an engineer. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to find me a church, and I'm going to be a part of that church. I'm going to work in that church. I'm going to support that church. I'm going to go on mission trips. And when I get 55, 60 years old, they'll probably ask me to be a leader in the church. And then I'll do that. And I was happy with that vision. I was happy with that dream. I, that's an awesome dream as far as I'm And it still is an awesome dream. It really is. But at that moment, my dreams changed. My dreams changed. And it says, are you okay? It says, man, I sit there and went so long, the notes were gone. It says, he said this, after verse 15 and verse 16 of that Matthew 16, and Simon, Simon Peter said, see, he even knew the answer. I didn't even know the answer. But what I'm trying to, I want you to know this, you don't have to have the answer. Have the truth. 
you're the God I don't know. That was the truth. I didn't know him. I'd been a believer. I was like, Philip, I don't really know you. I just know that you're this person that we're hoping to redeem Israel, but I don't really know you, the person. That was me. I didn't know him. And Peter, under revelation, under anointing, because he was really messed up, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, and I'll, so that was revelation. I say to you that you're Peter. He began to tell him his real identity. This is so vital for us. And on this revelation, I'm going to build my church. This revelation that you know who you are, you know who I am, you know who you are. They work together. It's not one, you know, I've heard so many different things on that. One, it was Peter was the rock. One, it was just Christ was rock. It's both. They're both rocks. Peter's just a little rock. He's a little rock. Jesus is a big rock, but he's a chip off the old block, so to say. <laughs> We're going to build the church, Peter. That's what you're going to do with your life because you've seen me. You're going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. And I'm going to give you authority to do. And I tell people all the time this, that badmouth the church, what you need is a revelation of Christ. Because if you get a revelation of Christ, that badmouth will stop. But you can't get a revelation of the church, really, without having a revelation of Him. I'm sorry my nose is running. But... I wanted to say, I'm just telling you some of my journey. Yours is going to look different. Probably won't be as ridiculous. But it's okay. All I'm saying is, is I've asked, you know, recently I said, Lord, I've spent 30-something years trying to get to know you, and I failed miserably, Lord. That's the way I failed in my heart. This was a few months ago. I felt miserable. Lord, I don't know you. That's the way I felt at that moment. I don't know God. I don't know you, Lord. Not really. And you know what? The Lord sent someone to say, Hey, Byron, I read this great quote today that Eugene Peterson said. I'm thinking, well, okay, tell me the great, great quote. They didn't know I'd been agonizing for a week over my relationship, Lord, because I felt like I've spent 30-something years trying to get to know this person. I have no clue who he is. I don't know him. That's the way I felt. I'm sorry I'm being so emotional. I got my glasses all fogged up and, you know. Anyways, I wish I could tell you some step-by-step way to know the Lord. (laughs) this is what Eugene Peterson this is what my friend said to me that day he says this is what Eugene Peterson he didn't know what I was going through it was was God this is what Eugene said we do not know God by by defining him but we know him by being loved by him and loving in return and that's how you know God. You don't know Him. That's why Jesus said in John 5, you search the Scriptures. That's what He was telling people. You search them. 
that's not a bad thing, I don't think. And I don't think he was saying that was a bad thing. But I was thinking he was saying, you do all this, but you don't come to me. That's your problem is you're trying to find principles and you're trying to find rules and you're trying to find a way to get your prayers answered and get your life fixed. But I'm not about that first. I'm about you first. And then about your needs. And then about your ministry. And then about this. Then about that. Then about your husband. Then about your job. But what I want from you is I want you to love me. I want to let you... Will you let me love you? That's what God would say to every one of us in this room. Just would you let me love you? Would you stop for just a moment in your life and let me love on you and let you feel my love for you, let you, my love get down into the deep places of your heart and then Things can happen because He wants to heal. He wants to deliver. He wants to prosper. He wants you to have a husband or a wife. He wants you to have money. All those are things that God wants to do. But it's not the first thing He wants to do in our lives. Truly, He wants a relationship with you. He wants you to open your heart to Him. Even when your heart's ugly... And tell him, this is how I feel, Lord. I don't feel good about my life. I don't feel good about what's happening around here. I don't feel good about this. I don't like this. I don't like why you didn't answer my prayers. He just wants you to get real with him and be truthful. And say to him, well, I don't really know you. I know what everybody said about you. I know what the Bible teachers have said. That's awesome. I love that. But I don't know you. I I need to know you. Because that doesn't do me any good. I forget it. I don't know about you, but I forget stuff. They said that. And I believe there's an invitation from the Lord. I don't think we'll ever. See, here's what I believe. I believe that God is looking to raise people up and to promote people and make them greater. That's what I believe. He wants to make you a greater person. He wants to give you more. He wants, if you're a business, He wants your business to be better, prosperous. He wants your family to prosper. He wants you to have so much that you have an overflow in your life and you can give to the needy ones. He really does. That's what He's all about. But He's saying, and that's what a father does, by the way. A father does that. A father gives. A father gives to it hurts. A father gives to his own demise almost. Not God the Father, but many earthly fathers have done that. I remember when I got married. <laughs> I was stupid. I didn't even not have money to go on a honeymoon. And when I was headed out to the honeymoon, hey, Daddy, can you loan me some money? <laughs> I'm talking about we were in the car getting ready to leave. <laughs> daddy, can you loan me? You know why I was able to do that? Because I knew my daddy would give me the shirt off his back if I asked for it. And he looked at me, you ain't got no money? <laughs> Hang on. He went and got the money and gave it to me. You know what? My daddy probably gave me every dime he had. He probably went without. I didn't think about it then because I was such a self-centered person. You know? But that's what fathers do. They hurt behind the scenes. 
And God really calls us to hurt behind the scenes as fathers and mothers. I mean, every natural parent knows that, right? You hurt for your children. But he's looking for people on the earth that could... And everybody in here is a candidate. I mean, even if you're 20 years old, there's a, a younger generation behind you that needs a father. Yeah. And that needs a mother. Needs somebody to care about them. <laughs> needs somebody to hold them and touch them. Speak life over them. All of us can do that, I really believe, because God's put the Father's heart in us. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning, you know, about your relationship with the Lord. And just being truthful with God about where you're at with Him. And, um, you know... You know, let, let your life work out the way it's supposed to. So let, I'm going to pray for you. <clears throat> I'll give Ryan up here. Father, I just pray for everybody in the room, Lord. I, mean, I feel like, Lord, that you... that you've put dreams in our hearts. And I think a lot of people in this room have a dream for you. A desire for you. I think we have lots of dreams about ministry or business or family. But I think many people, Lord, have another dream hidden down inside of them, deep inside of them. And Lord, I just want to call that dream up in people. I want to call it up in me, Lord. Lord, I want us to be true to that dream above all dreams. That you... You, Lord, as David said, I, I, I would just rather be a doorkeeper in your house than anything else. If I could just be there, just be in the room with you. Lord, that's our greatest dream. That's our greatest dream is you, Lord, and your presence. And I pray, I pray for everybody in this room. I pray for those who are log jammed in their life right now, who have problems, have issues, and they're frustrated that their life is not working, Lord, that the day they can have that encounter. They could go out on their dirt road and they could stand before the God of heaven and pour their hearts out and say to them what they feel and say to them about what those questions, Lord. I pray they would hear the questions. I pray they would hear those two questions. Lord, what I say is not good enough. It's what you say to them. I'm just... One of the they's in that question, who do they say that I am? I'm a they to them, Lord. I want them, Lord. I pray for every person in this room, they would bear to say, to, they would bear to answer the second question. Well, Lord Byron says, You're a father. But I don't know you as a father. I don't know you like that. I have no clue about that, Lord. I pray, Lord, they could say, you know, they don't, I don't, you're the God that I don't know. You're the God I don't have a clue about. You're the God I thought I knew. Lord, I believe you'll speak to people. I believe you will have an encounter with people. Lord, I believe you're looking to walk in people's rooms. I believe you want to walk in our rooms, Lord, and stand with us. And do, do something in our life that's so hidden. And that's so deep that it affects the rest of our lives. Our thinking becomes different from that moment on.
the trajectory of our life is altered forever. I pray that for everybody in this room. I pray it, Lord. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room. I thank you that they belong to you. They belong to Jesus. Their sons and daughters. You know what? If you committed adultery, the Lord loves you and He is not rejecting you. If you've lied, if you've stolen, if you have been a complete failure, the Lord still loves you and wants to embrace you this morning. If you've done the worst thing that you can imagine, if you have lived your life completely wrong and you have completely made a mess of everything, God still wants to embrace you. He still wants you to know that He cares about you. Don't let your past, don't let your thought, don't let any of that stop you from this embrace that God is looking to have with you. Don't let it stop His, His what the really is the truth, His magnificent obsession. Uh, you, He's obsessed with you. He's obsessed with you. He thinks about you. He says that your name is written on his hand. He looks at his hand. He thinks about you. It's the truth. We don't always feel that way. But what Jackie was saying is proof that God is thinking about you. Even in your worst moment. I just ask you to hear this if you can today and receive this. And let God have something. And this is all he's asking for. He's just saying, all I'm asking for is, is for you to open your heart to me. That's all I'm asking. And be real with me. And let me into your heart. Let me get in there. Because I've allowed you. My heart's open. I think there's a chance for us to respond to this today. I first want to start by if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord and you want to, if you want to know the Lord as your father, and that might be offensive in itself, <laughs> but if you want to go down that road with the Lord, um, you can stand up or you can just pray uh, with me while I pray. Lord, I want to know you. You're stirring my heart. I don't even know how your love looks. I don't understand. But I say yes, Lord. I accept you as my Father and I accept you as my Savior. And I want to walk in deeper relationship with you, Lord. And I am a son and I am a daughter of the Most High God. And I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross for me to set me free. And I want to learn what all that means, even if I don't know it right now. Thank you, Lord. If you want me to pray that with you personally after the service, um, I'll be up here. One of our uh, ministry team members will be up here to pray for you. If you want to respond in person to that. And if you're a believer... And you want to go deeper with the Lord. 
I've been in a similar place as Byron, being in that place to say, Lord, I don't know enough about you. So if you want to know more about the Lord, then you can stand up right now and I want to pray for you also. If you're in a spot that you don't understand what the Lord's doing, the answer is what Byron preached about. The answer is the Father himself. It's a deeper revelation of the Father. So Father, we say yes. We want to know you more. We want to know you more. I want to know you more, Lord, in relationship with you and with me. Over and above relationship with the body, with everybody else. Draw me into deeper relationship with you, Lord. Show us more sides of your face. Show us more sides of your heart. Open up your mysteries to us, Father. That's the answer, God, that we're seeking. And all these other things will be added. You'll answer our desires. Your answer, Lord, you might not answer all our questions, but you'll give us revelation about you. And that's enough. So, Lord, we say yes to that journey. We want to go down that road with you, Lord. Amen. If our ministry team could come up, um, we'd like to uh, just say we're so glad you were here today. You can be dismissed. But if you want prayer for healing, if you want prayer for anything, Come on up and meet up with one of the folks up here in the ministry team. If not, God bless you and have an amazing week. We love you.